Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. She grew up playing in the Calgary and Kamloops era before going to Santa Clara University and transferring to Florida State. She's played professionally in Sweden, Austria, Finland, and Turkey, and she's represented our women's national team since 2015. Please welcome to the show, Natasha Calkins. Natasha, thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have this conversation. Yeah, great to have you on the show. I know you're super busy with training, but uh, in doing some research for the show, and thank goodness, uh, Florida State has a great bio on you. I didn't know this. Uh, your mom's an Olympian. Your dad's a post-secondary level athlete. So I'm wondering, were you playing sports as long as you can remember? Or what was your relationship with sports? And how did you get into volleyball? Yeah, I've been playing sports forever. I used to do all like the multi-sports camp when I was younger. My dad also was a basketball coach. Um an assistant coach at the college level in Grand Prairie. And so I used to go on like road with him. I did track, basketball, gymnastics, swimming. I swam competitively up until I believe I was in grade nine. Um, yeah, I did almost every kind of sport you can think of skiing, not competitive, but just for fun. Um, dirt biking, like uh, pedal dirt biking for a little bit. Uh, yeah, all sorts of sports. And do you remember what age either you felt the need to try to pick one sport or maybe coaches were pressuring you? Like at what point did you kind of pick like, okay, this is the sport I want to play like at a post-secondary level? Um, well, I knew I wanted to play volleyball, I think in grade 10, but I didn't want to let the other sports go. I was pretty like kind of someone who needed to be little bit focused on everything I had a hard time just doing volleyball um kind of that singular sport focus it's why I ended up quitting swimming because it kind of started to take over my life so even up until grade 12 like I think in grade 10 I was five sport athlete I got athlete of the year um I was doing on on the swim team on the track team basketball for a while I, I definitely took it a lot easier um in my grade 12 year, like I had also been doing club track before that. But I think once I have committed to a university and knew, okay, like volleyball needs to be more of a focus because obviously there's a very big um, skill gap between, you know, U18 volleyball and then kind of that NCAA. So that was more when I, you know, when I found out where I was going to go and was watching the video and stuff, I think there was a realization for me that, oh, this is not, you know, I can't just have my mind going in different directions anymore. And as an athlete, did anything appeal to you in volleyball in terms of it sounded like you were doing a nice mixture of uh, individual sports, team sports, summer sports, winter sports. Uh, what stood out for volleyball that it was going to be like, OK, like I enjoy going to practice or I enjoy getting better at this one. Like, was there was there anything maybe it was the team dynamic? Like, what made you finally pick volleyball? Because it sounded like you had maybe a dozen options to be really good at sports. <laughs> Uh, it's definitely the team dynamic. I also really like just the way volleyball is played, kind of like the explosiveness of the sports and, you know, and basketball. I mean, basketball is fun, but it's a bit more, I would say, slower because you're getting a point, you know, you are getting that point every time. You're kind of like running down the court. There are some faster paced options, but I feel like in volleyball, you can't just take a couple plays easy. You know, every point has to be focused every time you have to be engaged. And I think that definitely caught my attention because, you know, I am kind of that personality where, you know, I want to be focusing on something the whole time. I don't like to take it easy in any aspect. Like I, I would always, when I was in high school, I would always burn myself out like in the weight room because I'd have like a couple weeks off and then I'm like, all right, let's go every day, three hours. And then this practice, and this practice. So I think uh, volleyball is definitely kind of that more like high IQ, high energy sport that I've really just enjoyed playing in. And then obviously the team dynamic as well. Like 
individual sports are fun, but it is really cool to be a part of a team and kind of be a part of something that's bigger than just your own success. Nice. And in front of the show, Matt Kruger was telling me, uh, he had worked with you a little bit when you were younger in Kamloops. So I'm wondering who recognized who in the gym? Cause he's obviously on staff with the women's national team right now. Did he bring it up? Did you recognize him? Like, cause that must've been way back. There must've been a few years gap where you guys wouldn't have seen each other. Right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely recognized him. I, um, I grew up in like Kamloops is kind of where I learned to play volleyball. And so like Pat Henley, uh, the men's volleyball coach there was the one who first introduced me to volleyball and him and my dad are actually still pretty good friends. And so, you know, I watched Billy Krug's play. Um, and that was also too my, my first experience in like a higher level competitive team because the team that I was on before was a lot more like recreational, a lot, you know, I didn't take it so seriously, which is kind of something that I did. And so I think, you know, when, um, was Drew, yeah, Krug's was the assistant coach, um, and our head coach Drew, like they were both the you know first coaches that I had that were very like passionate about volleyball and kind of understood that higher level and expected things out of practice you know I think when you're younger sometimes it's just like having fun and you know just being with your friends and that was the first experience I got that you know cemented in my, my mind like oh like you know this is you know not what I thought it was um, and then, I mean, he hasn't changed that much over the years. So I've run into him a few times, uh, just to the volleyball community. I feel like as you keep getting older and go through the volleyball community, it's so small, you know, everybody knows everybody. Um, and I'd seen him around too, uh, through some of the summers cause he's been working with the UBC team. So, yeah. And going up into your older years of a uh, high school and club, like playing for clubs like Kanako or uh, Dinos, did that help in the recruiting phase? Like, did you get recognized at a tournament and that's maybe where you thought like, oh, I can go to the NCAA or I can play youth sports? Or was it because you played for like a, an organized club that had sent people to post-secondary? They maybe had some tools to connect you with that maybe put you in touch with coaches. Like, I'm wondering what happened first. Did you get scouted first or did you start contacting schools you wanted to attend? Um, well, so actually I have a bit of a weird recruitment story because I decided very last minute, I didn't decide that I wanted to go to the States until I was going into grade 12. And so I actually hadn't really been talking to any American schools. I had a couple options for Canada, but I mean, definitely the appeal of the U.S. is that you get that full scholarship and, you know, there are so many more options that are high level that you can do kind of academics and volleyball at the same time. So I ended up actually, my parents sent me to, I think, five of those week-long volleyball camps in a row. I went to Pepperdine, uh, Texas, USC, UCLA, doing position camps. And actually the coach at Texas took like a small video on his phone of me hitting. And he happened to be the best friend of my head coach. And that's how I got the scholarship offer like the next week. No way. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so you get the scholarship offer. Uh, did you do a visit or were you so excited that you're like, yeah, I'm coming. I don't care what the school looks like. It's California. It's got to be nice. No, I did the visit. It was more of like, um, I mean, I, I was pretty certain that I was going, I mean, that was kind of, you know, my best option and I was really excited about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I did the visit late. Like I think I did it um, maybe after Christmas when I was in grade 12. So yeah, everything was pretty, pretty far behind. So when you, when you arrive on campus at Santa Clara, what was that like? Cause I imagine uh, it's gotta be different for Canadians a little bit. And, and you coming in as like a first year, like 
because you didn't really know any other athletes on the team, like, did you have expectations? Did you think like you should be a starter? Were you just happy to be there and kind of plug away and work on skills? Like what was kind of those first couple of weeks like with the team? Well, so I actually got there early in summer school just because I was kind of the first international that they had had coming. So they wanted me to kind of get more integrated and, you know, be on the campus before we started everything, just, you know, take some summer classes, kind of ease that load for the first, you know, couple semesters that I was in university. So actually nobody on my team was really on campus. It was the soccer girls and me, I was kind of alone a lot just because I didn't know anybody. Um, I met a couple people as some of the athletes came in, but yeah, I was just kind of training by myself. Um, and then a bit funny. So I was an outside hitter through most of the club. And then one of the middles who was supposed to come to my school was she was a transfer student and she just wasn't academically eligible to transfer. And so they, I guess, saw me, they're like, you're athletic, you're young, you're going to be the third middle. And so he actually took me to the, I went to the gym with my coach and was just doing block trips without a net, like learning how to play middle at the, you know, NCAA level, just, you know, as a new position. I hadn't played middle since I was like 14 years old. Oh, that's so funny. So uh, as your years progressed there, uh, what opened up the opportunity to transfer? Uh, so you basically went coast to coast, right? You went from Santa Clara in, in Northern California to Florida State. Uh, just let us know, uh, as Canadian fans, maybe we don't know the details as well. Uh, how does that opportunity come together? Like, uh, do you have to enter the transfer portal? Who engages in the conversation? How do you know they're looking at certain players? Like, uh, how does the whole behind the scenes happen? So for me, I was kind of... I. I had a lot of injuries and issues at Santa Clara with our strength and conditioning coach. Like I really did like the program and the team, but I came to a point where it was like, I can't, you know, I slipped a disc while he was watching me lift and I had a lot of issues with him and that was causing problems between my coaches and I. And so I just reached a point where it's like, even though I loved it there, I loved school. It's like, I want to play national team. I want to play professional and I need to make it through my four years in order to get there. So I actually just, um, Santa Clara's on a, a quarter system. And after the second quarter, I just told my coach, like, I can't be here anymore. Like, I'm, you know, sorry, but I have to go. And I actually ended up just going home. And from there, I, I think once you, once you leave the school, I think you automatically go into the transfer portal. I'm not sure. I don't know for sure. And I actually just started emailing coaches, just kind of explaining my situation, sending some video. I, at the time, too, at Santa Clara, I was kind of between the middle opposite and then the fourth outside. So I just said, like, you know, here's, you know, I am can jump this high. Um, I've been playing middle, but I want to play outside. You know, I want to play national team. Like, these are my goals, you know can you help me? And I got a couple, I got one reply from Iowa, I believe Florida state um, was the other one. And actually Iowa was the one that I was really interested in going to. But when I got home, I just didn't hear from them for a few weeks and Florida state within that time uh, sent me a message, got me on a visit, and I committed to them. And then the next day, Iowa actually was like, oh, can we get you on a visit out here? So it was honestly just luck. Like, I think when you're transferring a lot of times, like, you never really know what's going on in other schools. And so I just reached out to all the places that, you know, I wanted to go to, and I just got lucky. 
And uh, along that timeline, uh, just speaking to you before the show, was your first opportunity to play with the national team in 2015. Um, yeah. I- I'm trying to remember back, like, who would be your age, maybe like Autumn Bailey and a few other athletes. But I'm wondering, was that team made off of provincial teams? Was there an open tryout? Like, how did you kind of dip your toe in the first national team experience? Because was that after your second year at Santa Clara, you would have made your debut with VC? Yes, that was right when I transferred. So when I transferred or I left Santa Clara and in between um, Santa Clara and Florida State was when I got national. I went to the national team tryout. They had an open tryout. There actually there wasn't many people there. It was it was right after Canada didn't make the Olympics. So a couple of the senior girls decided not to come back and to take a break. And then for whatever reason, there just wasn't that many people who were there. So I think it was like uh, Danny Smith, um, Alicia Perrin. Um, Jesse Niles, Kristen Monks, Lucy Karchuk. Um, those are kind of the older girls on the team. Tabby Love was actually there for a little bit. Um, and then people my age would have been Courtney Baker, Mariah Walsh, um, gosh, uh, Sierra, or Sierra Hanley, I think, was there as well. It was a, a pretty big difference, um, the team then to the team now. A lot of the girls, like I don't think Autumn was there um, my first year. And did anything click in that tryout? I know you mentioned like there's a lot of different ages. It's the start of a new cycle. But uh, was there any confirmation for you that you're like, yeah, I can play for Canada someday? Yeah, I think it's just those moments when you're young, when you do something that you kind of surprises you. Because I think when you're in a gym like that, I mean, it was very intimidating, very scary. Because in Canada, we don't really have the opportunity volleyball wise to play with that much higher of a level. You know, we have... We can go to college and the States and Canada gets the same thing. But in Europe, I mean, I've had 16 year olds on my team and the same team has got 30 year olds, you know? And so that was my first experience with like playing with, you know, people who were professionals and that was kind of their lifestyle. And so it was kind of moments where I was nervous, but just, you know, kind of decided to stop thinking and just play and Obviously, there's tons of mistakes, tons of embarrassing things that you do, getting people mad at you. Um, but also, there were good things, and there were, you know, good connections. And over the summer, especially, like just the, just how fast you develop when you're playing at a high level, I think was really cool for me. And by you know the beginning of it, like I said, I was terrified. But by the end, I definitely have that feeling that I want this. Like, I know I want this. And were you able to bridge that confidence going into Florida State? Like, when you arrived on campus, did you feel like, you know, the injury problems had kind of gone away? You're excited for a new situation? Like, uh, what was the first couple of weeks like with the, the Seminoles? It was different, I will say. The volleyball style at Florida State was a lot different than with national team and even at Santa Clara national team in Santa Clara, they run very fast offenses because a lot of the players, well, national team, I guess, internationally were a lot smaller at the time than a lot of other national teams. Whereas when I went to Santa Clara, we had big hitters. Like one of the girls I played with, who's my year, she actually was on the Serbian national team for a little bit. We had Norwegian national team libero. One of our outsides got recruited by team USA to be a lib there. And she won beach nationals. Like we, it was just a very athletic, big group that we had. And so the style was definitely different from what I was used to. Um, but I, I had pretty good, I had a good relationship with my assistant coach and she definitely helped me a lot, but, um, it was just different. Like it felt a lot, I was, you know, a bit uncomfortable again, kind of going into that gym. And, uh, 
Tell me about your senior year because I'm, I'm digging through the stats here and it's pretty bonkers in terms of like not unusual for you to get over 50 attempts in some matches here like against Illinois State uh, 22 kills on 51 attempts uh, versus Santa Barbara 17 kills on 57 but also when you're getting this volume it wasn't unusual for you like you hit 500 against NC State on 36 attempts uh, hit 400 a bunch like what was it like getting that much volume like did you feel like you were a valued piece you were a key piece for the team that like you were going to be expected to perform well every game yeah, we had a bit of a harder time my senior year. Just um, we had a really young group come in all at once, and we lost like um, one of our starting setters because at Florida State as well, we would run um, a six-two with two opposites and two setters, um, and we had I think both outsides also were switching out. So I actually didn't play back row at all. So you know, I got a lot of volume in like very short period of time. But it was, I, don't, I wouldn't say it was a lot of pressure per se, because our practices prepared us a lot for the style that we were playing. Um, you know, we had kind of some weaknesses that we had to try and overcome. And so, you know, our coaches did a really good job of kind of tailoring our team to do that in practice. And I also, I mean, I had one setter that I played mostly with and then another setter who would, you know, switch in like part way. So a lot of that was just kind of building the connection so that when we did switch a lot, um, you know, it didn't break the stride that we were going in. And so it was kind of like, I knew it's my job, you know, I can't just come in, take two rotations to warm up and then get into it. Like I needed to be going right away, right off the bat. And that was just like, it, it was, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> now, when you're in a program like that, uh, are you getting those reps in training? Like, I'm wondering how does that affect you going back to the national team or wanting to pursue a pro contract where like maybe in some situations, like you said, you don't play back row, maybe you don't serve a bunch. Like uh, even a name you mentioned earlier, Tabby Love, I think was an outside hitter. I don't think she serve received in the one rotation they did at UCLA. So here she is, is like a left side who didn't get served receive reps so because it is so specialized but it's such a high level and it is dynamic um do you get that training on the side or when you go back to the national team do you feel like a little bit behind sometimes and no all i did was attack <laughs> even defense it was like a little bit but not so much like it was it was so different because you have like those defensive specialists who came in so a lot even as an outside i wasn't really touching that many balls on defense like i would sometimes but we had you know two some you know two back row players who are both ds's and so a lot of times they're splitting the court and in practice as well like we are very offensively focused so that's what we did we worked on offense we had some serving reps outside of that but for the most part i was just blocking and swinging like i remember doing block trips where i swear almost every day like 20 minutes <laughs> after a while like you're going crazy but um, it was definitely a change going to the national team because, like I said, I had been playing left side at Florida State. And so when I went to the national team, like, fact of the matter is I just wasn't good enough to pass. Like, you know, even though my attacking was much better on there, um, it just – I couldn't pass at that, like, international level. So I they made the switch um, to put me in the right side. And that was a big learning gap for me um, just because it was something that I hadn't really done – at that level before and so you know defense even taking free balls because when i was at florida state same thing like if a free ball came over we're just attacking like you don't i don't even need to look most of the time unless it's dribbling over the net like libero's got it go so 
I think that summer, my first summer with Next Gen was really hard for me because I knew or I had an idea in my mind of the level that I wanted to play at, but I just wasn't able to execute. And so it was a lot of struggling. Um, but it did pay off because then when I went into my first pro season, like, and relaxed and kind of let all those things that I'd learned to just, you know, come naturally, I, you know, it didn't feel like such a gap. And, you know, I progressed so quickly once I just started being a little bit more confident in myself with those things that I hadn't really done before. Now, I think sometimes as coaches, we think, oh, an outside hitter is an outside hitter, but you're playing at such a high level that like the blocking assignment's different, maybe even hitting more cross body from one pin than the other pin. Or like you said, something as simple as like, where do I drop back and do on a free ball? So when you're in that situation and it's all new, but you're still at such a high level and there probably is no room for mistakes. Are you a big video person? Are you a big journal person? Are you staying uh, late? Are you showing up early? Like, how did you get over the initial frustration and just kind of do more work to try to figure this out? I'm really big on video, not so much on myself, but on what I want to see. So I watched, I looked at, I think it was uh, Tendara Caxia, or she played for Brazil as an opposite and outside. And I found her and was watching a lot of her video because she was kind of, you know, same, similar stature as mine, similar kind of like she's athletic in a similar way that I am. And so I would watch a lot of video of her playing and try and emulate that in practice. And sometimes, you know, I, I looked like a bit of a joke playing because, you know, you're learning these new skills. And I think that was the thing that I also learned as well is sometimes in order to take that big step forward, you're going to go back and just feel, you know, like you've lost like years off your skill level, but it's not that it's your body kind of relearning to do what you want it to do. Because even the technique and the way that you hit on the right side is different from the outside. And the way that I would play on the outside, I can't play that way on the left because I'm, you know, a right hand hitter and I'm swinging on like different types of balls. So it was just things like that where I was watching what I wanted to see and then trying it in practice and then looking at the video, seeing, okay, like, where's the gap here? What am I doing that I can change? Um, also too, I mean, getting very overwhelmed at times and having those little moments where I'm full panic, I guess. And, you know, I think volleyball is a pretty cool sport as well because, you know, there are players in the world who are the best, like the Russian girl, I think Alina is her name. She's 18 years old. She went to the Olympics. And sometimes it's, you know, you can make a big jump in a day you know, in a week, and maybe you're staying at that same level, and then all of a sudden you get it. And that was kind of my experience is just working away at something getting really frustrated. And then all of a sudden, like, okay, like, I know what I'm doing, I know what to do. Yeah, that's so, so cool to hear. Um, and something that makes volleyball pretty unique is the first pro contract. So I'm wondering, uh, at Florida State, at what point are you looking at an agent? Uh, do you get the first offer? How do you compare offers from different leagues? Like, uh, I know you mentioned like you had an early on goal that you wanted to play professionally, maybe as soon as like your freshman year, but uh, how did it actually come together to accept that first offer and go overseas? Well, so unfortunately for me, I actually ended up getting um, elbow surgery right after my um, season at Florida State. So I had one more semester to graduate as well. So essentially, I had my elbow surgery, did the recovery at Florida State, came back the next year as kind of like a team manager practice player. 
Um, and then after I graduated, I actually went to U of A and Lori Eisler, I love her. She's amazing. She let me join her team and, you know, work on a lot of those things that I was kind of missing, um, after college. And when I finished next to like the summer with team Canada, I actually, I don't think I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a contract. Uh, I had nothing, no offers. And I went back to Florida state and joined them in their preseason. And my coach, he, um, they have done a Europe trip. And so he gave me the contact with that guy and I got an offer and I actually left from Florida state to Sweden. It was, you know, first offer, best offer. <laughs> wow. And I think that shows just how committed you were to the goal to go to U of A and then go back to Florida state. But, um, at the time, if you had to remember, did this just all seem necessary because you were coming off a pretty gnarly injury and it was something you had to do? Or were you just willing that whenever you got an email, whenever you got a phone call, you're like, yes, if this helps me get towards my goal, I'm going to do it. I think for me, I mean, it was something I knew I wanted to do. And those were the steps that I needed to do to get there. And so like in Edmonton, um, Jordan Taylor, JT, he also, I joined him and he helped me a lot with training. And so I basically found somewhere he did volleyball specific training and Lori, like I said, was willing to let me in her gym. And so, you know, it was just like, if I want to do this, I have to, I have to dig in. I have to make kind of like those sacrifices maybe without, you know, I can't really have a real job if I'm trying to train through the day. And it's different when you're not supported by a university anymore. Cause a lot of it's like your own, money or parents money sometimes um but I just kind of kept thinking about the end goal and for me as well when I had the surgery I had I was really frustrated coming back from the surgery and getting it and you know kind of was in that stage that some people reach where they're like why do I even play the sport like do I actually want to keep going and when I got the opportunity to come back as a manager and play without pain and play in a lot more like free way I felt like free environment as well because nobody really cares about my performance about you know I can I need to challenge the team but I had the opportunity just to like work on myself and so I think that definitely helped me in my you know kind of decision that I'm going to do whatever I can to you know go to the national team tryouts and make this work and, you know, it don't, you know, if it doesn't happen, I mean, I didn't really think about that, but it was just, for me, it just felt necessary. Like, you know, if you want to reach your goals, like you have to put everything you can into doing that. And so that's what I did. And once again, first impressions. So you've played uh, NCAA, you've played with the national team. Uh, was pro still a little bit different? Like, was there a jump in skill level? Was it just a different experience? Cause now you're in a foreign country. Like what were those first few weeks with your Sweden club? Like, um, it was a little bit different because it's a different dynamic in pro. So I wasn't on a full pro team. I, a lot of the girls, I think there was three of us who were professionals, two other Americans and me. And we actually had, I think our setter is on the Swedish national team. So we had like a fairly high skill level, definitely not as high as like NCAA, but like uh, the three pros, like we were expected to be top scorers to get like, you know, all the points and, also, too, like the way that your teammates look at you is a lot different. I was definitely, after coming from the national team, was a little bit unsure of myself going into pro just because, like, you know, coming from a summer where I felt like I was one of the worst players, even though, you know, it's a lot of it, like I said, it's the development and changing positions and whatnot. 
I was lacking confidence for sure when I went into my pro season, but having like that kind of initial, just open like trust from my setter really helped me. And right off the bat, like you can just feel the kind of that, I guess the, the, the different way that you're viewed by your teammates because you are a professional. And so they don't have any of this history with you. They don't have any ideas about you. All they know is that, Oh, like this is the girl who's come to help us win. So it definitely boosted my confidence a lot because it was like, you know, I was put in a position where my team relied on me and needed me to do well. And I was able to do that. And, you know, it was, it was pretty awesome. I love hearing how you said that that really boosted your confidence and you felt comfortable, but did that ever get tested? Cause I imagine being a foreigner is a little bit tricky, but uh, just by doing this show, I've heard being a foreign opposite is like the the grind, right? Like you have to score points. You're going to get volume. You have to score out a system. So what was there ever an opportunity or a situation where you're kind of like, man, this is, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Not so much in my first few seasons. In this past season, definitely. I actually got fired from my first team after we dropped out of the top four and then went on to another team, which, you know, is kind of one of those things where, yeah, that, <laughs> that'll <laughs> take your confidence away a little bit. But, I mean, in pro, like, you know, it, it's a business. It's not personal. They're not making decisions because they don't like you necessarily. Obviously, your relationship with your teammates is different. But at the end of the day, like, you know, even if your coach likes you, you have to perform. And my coach at my first team actually did want to keep me. But the the board and the president was like, oh, well, we don't want to pay for a foreign opposite if we're not going to the finals. So, you know, we'll get rid of her. And that's just kind of the way it is. And it's, you know, it's... You can, I said it's it definitely you know hurts a little bit, but at the same time, like it's an experience, and I'm glad that I was able to experience that this early on in my career. Like I do plan to play for many more years, and you know better now than <laughs> later. <laughs> for sure. So so after that first year in Sweden, now you have pro tape, you have pro experience. Uh, were there many offers coming in when you decided on Austria? What was attractive there? Because uh, of all the countries in the world, they definitely love volleyball. It's a pretty special area there. So I was wondering uh, what attracted you to take the Austria offer? Yeah, I had, again, just like another bit of a bad luck. Unfortunately, I um, I sprained my ankle really badly um, when I was in Sweden. And I actually took a few months to recover from there. But um, finally, when I and that was also the COVID year as well so it was just a lot of chaos going into that but um it was the coach um Facundo he's from Argentina and he is just very like fiery passionate guy he's been an assistant coach at like, like a pretty high level I think he might have even been an assistant in Italy and worked sometimes with the national team and he was a pretty young coach at the time and wanting to make his way up and for me especially early on in my career it wasn't so much about the money it was more about like what's gonna help me develop and so with the team in Austria it was a bit lower level than when I was in Sweden but I was gonna need to be like one of like the best hitter you know every ball is coming to me like I you know had that responsibility again of like putting the ball away getting every ball no matter what it looked like and making that work so that was a really appealing to me. And the coach there, like he is very passionate, like he cares a lot about the sport. And so like I wanted to go somewhere where I could put in the extra time and, you know, really grow as a player. 
And, and was the situation ever kind of influenced by some of the cities you lived in? Like, obviously, uh, I think Sweden and Finland would probably be, uh, excuse me, Finland would probably be very friendly to a Canadian, like English speakers, like imagine food similar. But uh, looking at the town you were in in Austria, Innsbruck, it looks like a little, a little bit like a Disney movie, right? Like it looks a little fairy tale, right? Was that yeah. pretty cool when you arrive in some of these towns and it's like cobblestone and old buildings everywhere? Like, was that kind of just a, a bonus to the lifestyle of being a professional volleyball player? Definitely. I, in my free time, I love hiking. And so Austria was a little bit of a dream in Innsbruck, like woke up in the morning, looking out the window and it's just mountains. It's like living in kind of Banff, Canmore. It's gorgeous. And I feel like also too, during that whole time with COVID where you're, you know, not really able to go somewhere, it was really nice to have that scenery um, and just kind of be in, you know, a really gorgeous place. So it definitely helped with like my mental state, I will say. And uh, another thing that may have helped you feel a little bit more comfortable or confident, uh, you play with Courtney in Finland. Uh, did you know that the club was after both of you? Did you kind of sign there and then send her a message and you found out she's playing there? Like, how did you know that you were both going to land in the same spot? Well, she actually came in December. So I went there initially by myself and I was the only foreigner on that team. And then, yeah, we had just some, some issues with our setters and whatnot. So they brought her in after and it was pretty quick. I think she sent me a message asking what it was like. And then a couple of weeks later, all of a sudden she's in Finland with me. <laughs> so you mentioned COVID's going on and there's a bunch of distractions there, but also going on is uh, the national team shuffled a little bit. So when you mentioned uh, 2015 there, I think that was Lupo, then Marcello goes, then Tom goes, and then Shannon's there. So as the national team's kind of changing and there's a little bit of a youth movement with people like you coming in and then friend of the show like Lane and Hillary and uh, Kira Van Rijk, like how are you managing those changes, right? Because it looks like you're grinding and every year you kind of go to a little bit better club or maybe a little bit better situation in pro. Did you feel like you were on the cusp of also cracking in with the national team? Because there was usually like a new coach taking over and kind of the youth movement. Like what was your experience going from pro to the national team every summer? Um, well, it was a little bit different after that COVID year because, like I said, the last year that I was with the national team was kind of my struggle year switching to an opposite. And so I felt like I had a lot to prove, you know, just compared to where I left off. Like, I felt like I had developed a lot. And I, you know, Shannon was my coach for Next Gen. And so obviously, you know, having last time she saw me play was my little bit of a learning curve. And so... I felt like I had a lot to prove coming in. So I got accepted um, again as a next-gen player. Uh, this was after um, I was playing in Austria. And then um, during that summer, played with next-gen, trained, and I got an opportunity to come up and train with the A-team. And I kind of, I guess, surprised them with you know my development. And I ended up actually getting on the roster and going to um, Norseka and Pan Am Cup with um, the senior team. So that was pretty awesome. What was your memory of that? Because when we had Hillary on the show, she told a great story where she cracks a roster and she gets the call and she's just telling Tom, you know, I'm just excited to help everybody get better. And he just goes, no, that's that's not why you're here. You're here to contribute. And if you don't feel like you can do that, like we need to have a conversation, basically like encouraging her, but challenging. So did you kind of have that moment where you're just like, oh, I'm just happy to be here. I hope I can ever get better. Oh, wait, no, I'm on the roster for a reason. And I need to help like score points and help us win games. Right. I think for me, I mean, I'm a pretty competitive person by nature and so like if I'm on the team you know I I want to play and so you know I was playing behind Kira and Kira's an amazing player you know like that's a pretty big 
you know, thing to reach for her. Like she's so good. And for me, it was kind of just, you know, like watching her play, seeing what she does and then trying to kind of bring my own style and, you know, be the best that I can against her. And, you know, I mean, you definitely don't need to compare yourself to other people in your position, but it does help, you know, just to kind of light a bit of a fire and, you know, you see that she scores and like, I want to score the next ball. Like I want this. And I tried not to think so much about, I don't know, everything going on around it. Like I was just thinking about the now because essentially when I got called up to like train not with the senior team and be on the team at first it was okay. Well, you'll be like involved in the drills, but you're going to be on the other court for a majority of the time, like not really super involved, just giving people a break. And then I was playing, I was in a lot of the drills. I was kind of like the other opposite um, against Kira and Shannon. Like, I think, you know, a few, maybe a day uh, before announced the official roster. Cause I had told her and asked her like, Oh, can I coach? She's like, Oh yeah, no problem. You're not coming with us. Um, and she let me know like, Oh, Hey, you got to cancel that coaching job. Yeah. That's so exciting. And I, I was wondering if you could let us in behind the scenes, just to the culture with the women's national team, because, uh, during COVID, I think there was cool stuff going on. There'd be like talent shows and other ways that you guys were team bonding, but then like to the extreme one year, uh, because of the COVID stuff, Jen Cross told me like she was meeting girls at the first serve and pass at worlds one year. Like that was like how young the roster was. And there was some turnover there. So like a, a true vet, like her had to like learn names one morning before you guys were at a major competition. So, uh, how have you guys found a way to blend? Because there, there's not only going to be challenges of like rookies and vets, but the, the challenges of like some NCAA, some U sports players, or maybe you're just not as familiar maybe other teams because they've played against each other for so long you guys are coming from all areas of north america and then trying to make a team out of it uh how do you guys bond or get along or or do that team building stuff i think early on there was definitely a bit of a gap between the older players and the incoming players especially because there was i think for for a couple years there was quite a bit of turnover and obviously with covid happening and a lot of people were retiring after that and BNL kind of getting into BNL. Um, there was definitely a lot of turnover early on. I think now there's a lot more returning players, and so there's a couple people who are new. But it doesn't really feel like the you know the older girls versus the younger girls. I think the the older players in the team, the vets who've been around, they've done a really good job at kind of like involving you know themselves and involving everybody kind of in like the plans and even in like the group chat. It's you know, you're not just privately messaging each other. It's, hey, like, I'm going to be here, anybody who wants to come. And so I think just giving people that opportunity outside of playing to, you know, get to know you outside of the court, because obviously in a team environment, in a competitive environment, like, it's not everybody's, you know, your, your personality isn't that all the time. And so, you know, it might be hard to understand, or you might have girls who you fight with a little bit on the court. And I think it helps to see everybody outside of that environment and kind of build that separate relationship as well. So you can see a little bit more where they're coming from or understand them more. That's just their personality. And I think that, you know, has definitely been happening in the past few years, especially after COVID. I think that, you know, experiencing that and having to be away from everybody kind of, you know, I think made a lot of people want to be a lot closer together and not have that separation where you don't know, Oh, like, you know, is it okay if I talk to this person? And I, we definitely don't have that anymore. That's such a good point you bring up because, uh, 
Yeah, I, I think everybody wants to be genuine and be authentic and all that stuff. But sometimes you're arguing through the net and you're yelling it. That doesn't mean I hate you. It means I'm trying to win this point. So it doesn't mean we can't go hang out at Kids Beach or go for dinner that night. So it's so cool that you guys are open and communicate that because, yeah, if we left it to just what happened on the court, I can see like anyone in any team environment not being friends until you kind of build those or break down those walls. Excuse me. But uh, uh, with that communication you're having with the other athletes, was there any conversations you had before going to Turkey? I know some of the, the senior women have played there before, but uh, looking at your uh, professional resume, that just looks like a little bit of a step up. So when you got the offer to go to Turkey, were you nervous? Did you feel like you did your research? Did you feel like you were ready? Because uh, not only a, a different level of volleyball, but also just different culturally from where you had been and by the looks of it. Yeah, well, Kira's played in Turkey for a number of years, um, Emily Neglio as well. And so I talked about them a little bit of like, you know, how they liked it. But it was a bit different as well because I was in the second division. Um, but another girl on the team, Andrea, she also went to Turkey. And so it was kind of nice knowing that she was going to be there. And actually, there was quite a few Canadians. Alina Dorman, she was in Turkey. Um, I guess, yeah, there was five of us there. So it was nice, even if we weren't in the same city, just having that knowledge that other people were going to be around. Um, but I definitely wasn't prepared for Turkey. My first team, only two girls on my team spoke English. None of the coaching staff spoke English. And I didn't know that at all when I was going there. So it was a lot of just kind of adjusting on the go and, you know, figuring out everything, I guess, as you go on. Um, but definitely different culturally from all the places I played, you know, just with the lack of English. I was lucky enough in all my previous um, pro seasons to be in countries where they had a really high number of the population that spoke English. So it was definitely a big adjustment, I would say. So what do you, what do you do in that situation? Did a teammate translate the drill to you? Like, uh, how do you understand what's going on in practice other than like uh, a pessimist might say, Oh, you're an opposite. Just go up and club the ball. Like, how did you actually know what the expectations were? Well, sometimes a teammate, um, but for the most part, we had our strength and conditioning coach. He spoke English and our physio spoke English, but neither of them really knew anything about volleyball. So it was pretty funny. Sometimes the translation would just be like the direct translation doesn't make sense in English because, you know, volleyball has a lot of like terms in, you know, I'm sure Turkish as well has like specific terms. And so it was a little bit funny and a bit of an adjustment kind of figuring that out. Um, and also too, I definitely started to speak with a lot of Turkish when I was on the court um, and just adjusting to my teammates. I'll say it was, it was definitely a challenge, especially cause like I, I really did like my coach, but we just had such a big communication gap. And so for example, like we would do a drill one, one time where we're hitting higher balls and we're going off the hand, you know, deep as far as like as you know, hard as we can hit it, trying to get it like um, get off the hand and score. And then in the pre in the six on six drill, he would be upset that I wasn't doing this, but he'd never. It was hard to kind of for him to communicate like, oh, we're doing this because I want you to do this in this next drill, or we're doing this because I want this. Um, and so we definitely had a lot of kind of, you know, moments where we, I wouldn't say argued or didn't get along, but we just like a lot of misunderstanding, you know, and it was hard, I'll say probably for the both of us because we, you know, he wanted me to understand and I wanted him to understand, but unfortunately it's just, you know, it's really, really hard to communicate with like two different languages and in a sport setting as well. 
And, and to pull on your earlier point there about uh, the team dropping out of the top four, was it made clear to you or your agent that you were bringing in to get them back to the first division? Or was that like a shock where when the team's performance slid a little bit that uh, it, your your contract was expired or they were going to remove you from the team? Um. I was a little bit surprised that they would remove me from the team, but I mean, they'd never been in the top before. So it was kind of like, I think they'd finished fourth uh, almost all, all the years. So I think they, you know, maybe they want to save up money and bring in more professionals for next year. But I mean, they were, well, we had a lot of people talking to us. Like our president would come and give like these big long speeches before games, after games, before practice, after practice. And he's not really like a volleyball guy or we had um, kind of one of our team managers who would talk. Like it was a lot of people putting a lot of pressure on the team. And so unfortunately, like our team as a whole really just wasn't able to perform in the way that we could. I think as the season went on and as the pressure got more, I think the, the surrounding talk was very negative. So every time on Monday before we start practice, even if we'd won a game, well, I'm happy we won, but, you know, we shouldn't have gone to five. We should have won in three or this was bad. This was bad. This was bad. Like we would watch a video and it would be a pass off the net. That's a mistake. And the setter would set, that's a mistake. And it was just, everything was, was very negative, I think, on the team. And so it just made it very difficult for us to come together because, we didn't, you know, we had the goal of making the top four, but I think everyone after a while was just getting frustrated, you know, because if you're constantly just saying everything that's going wrong, but without giving solutions, it was, I think it weared a lot on a lot of people mentally and even me as well. Like I didn't get all of it because sometimes there wasn't a translator, but even the stuff that I did hear was just like, okay, but from my point of view, it's like, all right, like, you know, our passing is bad, but like, okay, so how do we fix that? Are we going to work on passing? And we would just do the same thing every day. And, but we just have that same negativity coming in, but without making any changes. And what is the behind the scenes when it happens? So they tell you, you're no longer a member of the team. I imagine uh, the apartment or the housing they set up for you, they want you probably gone. Uh, but how soon <laughs> after uh, does your agent call and say, Hey, there's another club willing to give you an offer right now. And it's still in Turkey. Like what was the, the few days after like, well, so they told my agent and then my agent talked to me. Um, and then after that, yeah, it was within like a few days where they found a different team to take me. Um, and then the other team actually, they drove up to come get me. They didn't really rush me out of the apartment. Like the club was really nice overall. Like they're, you know, I'm, I don't feel wronged by them that they ended the contract. Like it is frustrating, I think as a player, but I can also understand where they're coming from because at the end of the day, like, they hired me to do a job and if I'm not doing it, like it is, you know, fair enough that they'll, you know, save their resources for the next season. Um, but they were, you know, nice. Like I still practiced with the team up until I had somewhere to go, even after I wasn't on the team anymore. Like they, you know, they, they didn't like isolate me or anything. They didn't rush me out of the apartment. Um, as soon as the other team was ready to come and get me, then I did all that stuff. But yeah, it was very civil, nothing crazy, at least <laughs> with that one. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. And uh, I imagine it was a fresh opportunity, so maybe you're excited. But looking at the roster of your new club, I think the only, uh, for sure, the only North American, maybe one of the only English speakers as well. Like, was that situation pretty similar? 
Um, they actually spoke a bit more English because the city that I went to is actually like a university town. And so some of the girls were students. We had a girl, yeah, from Kazakhstan. Her English was pretty bad at first, but I lived with her. So it got a lot better because she got to practice because before that she was um, the only foreigner. And, or I think they had another Russian foreigner. So it was them two speaking in Russian and then the Turkish girls. But the girls who I was on, I, on the new team, they spoke a lot. Their English was still rough, but it was a bit more. Our coaches still didn't speak any English. And then we had um, a setter who, she's Turkish, but she played, I think she played, um, she plays professional in Europe. Um, and then we had a girl who's Turkish and German. So it was a lot more more English, which was nice. Now, you've had to deal with injuries, you had to deal with COVID, and then uh, Turkey got hit pretty hard with earthquakes. Were any of your clubs near that? Did the league shut down? Like, what was it like dealing with, uh, like, that emergency status for, for a big part of the country, right? Yeah, so I was actually visiting Andrea at the time, and we felt it, but it wasn't, you know, emergency. Like, we felt the shake, but luckily we weren't affected. Um, it was pretty scary and pretty sad luckily i think the the club in our league that lives in that area they were away in istanbul so you know they had like the girls who were a part of that club weren't directly affected i think their gym was destroyed like there was one of the teams in the league under us um they were hit pretty hard it was it was rough like athletes were buried under rubble like a lot of people passed away like it was really really hard um just seeing that because normally i mean a lot of disasters like this you kind of see on tv and you know you're not really there for it and it was a weird experience because luckily enough like none of i think there was one foreign player uh soccer or football player who um, passed away i can't remember where he was from it might have been france or maybe somewhere in africa but um, other than that, like none of the foreigners were impacted, but a lot of girls on my team, like their friends died, their family died. And so it was just a really difficult situation because we are there for it, but we can't really relate to it in, in a way that they can. And we can't, you know, there's nothing we can do. So it was, I'll say it was, it was pretty hard to, to kind of be there for that first end experience to see what, you know, my teammates were going through. And yeah, it was definitely a tough one, but the league did stop um, for a few weeks before we started again. Um, I think they, I think it was about two weeks, roughly, maybe longer um, before we picked up and they kind of delayed, um, delayed the start or delayed the championship as well. And just for our listeners to understand how busy you are as a professional athlete, uh, once your season ends, did you get any time at home for family and friends? Like, when did you have to report to Richmond and start training with the national team again? Because VNL is going to hit pretty fast. I think you guys have competition coming up. Yeah. um, So I came early. So I believe I got here on April 24th. So I actually got to go home for two weeks, which is nice. Um, and then, yeah, it was right to Richmond, and now we've got two weeks, and then we go to Europe. I believe there's like a, kind of like a training competition camp that they're that everyone's going to. So it all happens really fast. Like once we start, it's kind of like that, you know, mindset switch. And obviously, you're still working on skills and everything, and getting back into the national team system. But at the same time, it's you know, kind of that race to to see, you know, your performance as well. Like you have to, 
take, you know, take a couple days to get back into it. But then there comes a point where it's okay. Like, you know, you don't have time to learn, like you have to perform. One thing that I think is awesome about uh, just Volleyball Canada's training centers in general is uh, all the youth programs go through there. So I'm wondering what's it like being an athlete who you have your training session in practice, but like there's got to be some nervous en- uh, energy in the building because other athletes are there to try out. Right? Like I, I think the next gen tryout was going on the same time you're there training. So uh, is it nice just having so many high performance athletes going around? Do you kind of feel for them a little bit or like what's it like just having so many people in that space? It's pretty cool. I mean, even beyond the volleyball player, volleyball athletes, there's, um, I think rugby Canada, not rugby Canada, um, wheelchair rugby Canada is also there. Um, and there are a lot of like high performance athletes, like the McNamara's, I believe also train out of there sometimes. Um, so it's a lot of athletes of different sports. And then with the next gen, we actually weren't training while they had tryouts. Cause I think this year was like the most that they've had. So they were taking over all of the courts. Um, but it is really cool to kind of, you know, be in that environment. And every year we come back, like the staff, they're so happy to see us. And they always like welcome us back and seeing kind of the familiar faces of the Oval. Like it is a really cool environment overall. And I feel, you know, I think we all feel like very supported and like, you know, they're doing kind of the most for us. It's really awesome to be training out of there. Yeah, this has been so great to hear the behind the scenes and just follow your career. But uh, imagine something funny or unique happened along the way. So I was hoping you could share a funny story before we let you go. Well, the funny, not so funny story is actually um, with my last team in Turkey. They actually didn't pay me at all. So I'm in Turkish court right now suing for three months of salary. And they didn't fly me home either. So um, the president of the club, he just kept saying, like, we'd ask, he's like, oh, yes, like, I'll tell you tomorrow when I'll send your salary. Oh, next week you'll have it. And my agents were, like, harassing him. I have my regular agent and then an agent that I was working with who's Turkish, so she can kind of do all all the stuff behind the scenes in Turkey. And every day they were calling him, and he wasn't picking up the calls of my agents. Like, he was pretending to be sick. Um, and pretending that, you know, oh, sorry, like, you know, next week, and this was happening for months on end, they cut off the power at some point, our Wi-Fi, we didn't have hot water for a little bit. <laughs> um, it was a whole thing. Also, during the hur- the, uh, the earthquake, when I left, um, someone broke into my teammate and I apartment, and they stole the whole, like, uh, heating system off the wall. <laughs> and flooded the whole apartment um so we had to move to a different one which is pretty crazy (laughs) but yeah it was a lot of just chaos and then he also hadn't been paying other players like they'd been missing some like the girl from Kazakhstan she was missing five months of salary and her agent uh, um just wasn't really helping her leave I don't know why um and so like they all kind of, everyone got together and was like, if you don't, this is after a month that I've been there. And they said, if you don't pay us, then we're not playing. And the president was like, okay, then we'll just close the club. So I actually ended up going back to see Andrea and I was just at her apartment for like two weeks while they decided what was like, we we're just waiting for everything to happen. Cause I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll find me a flight back home. And then after this, they're like, okay, we have practice in two days. We will play. Um, and we're still asking about salary. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. Next week, next week. And still doesn't pay anything. 
So then finally we finish our second last game. And after this game, they decide, okay, we're not playing the last game. Like we're done. So I was just stuck kind of by myself in Eskashira, which is the city that I was in. And actually before that, we they stopped practicing. So we didn't practice during the week. We just practiced on Saturday and played Sunday. So during this time, I went to Istanbul and found a different team that actually let me join in their practices just so I wouldn't injure myself. <laughs> and so, yeah, after all this happened, then again, I went back to Istanbul because that's where I would fly out of. Um, and I was just staying with one of my friends and this, the president just kept saying, oh, yeah, like like he got my passport information. He's like, we're going to book your flight. Like, tomorrow I'll send you all the information tomorrow you don't hear anything and he just kept doing this for a week so I ended up um, just staying with my friends I was getting stranded and so while this was going on I got everything together with like the lawyers and stuff and I sent him like a last message like you know his you know my salary and he's oh like next week it's a holiday right now in Germany so my money doesn't come and I was like, for three months. <laughs> so luckily for me, um, Emily Maglio, which is there, she's sponsored by Turkish Airlines. And so she has some flights in her contract. And so she gave me like, thank you. Um, she honestly did me the biggest favor. She gave me one of her flights. So she flew me first class Turkish Airlines from Istanbul to Vancouver. And then I had to fly myself home. So I am currently in Turkish court <laughs> suing for my salary. <laughs> That is unbelievable. So for me and the listeners to fully understand, obviously your agent's fighting this and you're in court. Um, is there any penalty towards the club? Like, can they lose their FIB status? Like, is there anything like outside of you just fighting them head to head? Because uh, when we had Gavin Smith on the show, he talked about not getting paid by his Russian club and his agent told him straight up, he's like, you could fight this, but then like maybe they say the handler's going to deliver money and that person never shows up or they steal the money. Like there is some pretty corrupt, like shady stuff that goes on. I'm just wondering like, uh, what is the next process? And is there anything beyond you going to court that can reprimand them? Yeah, so we're actually, as I said, it's in Turkish court. So we're not going through the FIBB because they probably just wouldn't care. Um, and actually, one of the girls the year before, same thing. She had to sue for her salary. And I think it's just like, basically, I think what happens is the girls play at this team and they never go back. But then, you know, they keep bringing in new players because there's a lot of people who want to play. And they don't know this about them before. Um but like I will win in civil court. It's just the time. Like, and the crazy thing is this president, he's also done it to other athletes. Like I talked to a soccer player, he did the same thing. He never paid him. Um, and so it is just like he's a rich man who owns a lot of sports clubs. And I think he's just, you know, a bit greedy and is, you know, good at talking and kind of like putting people off. And so He's been doing this like year after year in different clubs. He has a handball team, soccer team, volleyball. Um, I'm not sure if he has anything else, but he owns like the whole Eskashir um, sports program. So if we go through FIVB, there isn't so much that they can do because they can give them penalties volleyball-wise. But if we go through the Turkish um, court, then we'll go after the actual club. That is wild. Well, sorry to end such a great interview on such a downer. Uh, hopefully the next time we speak, it's all figured out and this just becomes a funny story. But that is absolutely wild. But uh, Natasha, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all you did. That was great. 
Yeah, no problem. It was fun. And I mean, this is kind of a part of pro, like hopefully, you know, people don't experience this, but sometimes the chaos is just, you know, <laughs> keeps getting worse and worse and you just got to go with it and, you know, <laughs> see what happens.